0: Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Yeah, did y'all have a good week? Oh, it's about to get better. So I'm excited uh, for this morning to be with you and to continue on in our series, Making It Through the Mess, and today is going to really be a different kind of day. Uh, Because everything that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks has been about kind of how these negative thoughts make their way into our mind and how we can deflect them and we can reframe them and we can begin to kind of dismantle this mess that makes its way towards us. But tonight or this morning, we're going to talk about how we can actually take the battle to the enemy. We're going to actually talk about how we can avoid a mental mess by getting ahead of things, by learning to recognize those things and how we can actually kind of never get into this area of our life where we are really being overwhelmed, right? The best way to get out of a fight is to never be in one, right? I was, I was watching this special on um, the Secret Service and I've been fascinated with them since I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, we went to the White House, and I could care less about the White House, but I really was into the guys with all the guns, and there was this one guy standing by a guard gate um, that I, I, he had a huge coat on, and I was like 10, right? So I just said to him, hey, um, why do you have such a, like a big coat on? And the guy opened his coat, and he had an Uzi in his coat, and I was like, this is the best thing ever, right? And so what I realized, though, is what the Secret Service does, their job is really to not get in a fight. Their, their job is to avoid the fight. And I want you to kind of think about yourself tonight as Secret Service members. Like, your, your job is to really not get in the war. Your job is to get out of the fight. And as I was thinking about this week and, and what we were going to talk about um, this, this memory came back to me of when I was around 10 years old. Last night I said a few years ago, and then I was like, oh, wait, I'm 34. It's longer than a few years ago. But uh, when I was 10, um, I went to this camp called McCulley, McCully Sports Camp. It's in, in uh, Tennessee and Chattanooga. And it was an awesome camp. At 10 years old, I went with one of my best friends, and you stay at this private school, and then the whole week is sports, like all different kinds of sports. And there's tons of kids there. And I mean, we did everything. We we ended up going to Tennessee, uh, and we are out of Tennessee into North Carolina. And we went paintballing uh, with 120 kids in one paintball deal. That's where I found out I wasn't allergic to poison ivy. I'm not because every other camper got poison ivy. I did not. Um, and so, but my favorite part of the camp was the night that we played capture the flag. Who remembers capture the flag? Everyone remember? Cap- I love capture the flag. I, I love it, it. Okay. I get excited. I'm amped up. Like I, it's like I just drank 10 energy drinks before I got there. I'm putting my belt on my flag. I'm like, let's go guys. We got to go capture that flag. And the reason I I loved it, it was the excitement. And if you remember like, you know, when you would run over to the other side and then your flag got pulled, you had to go to jail, right? And there's like y'all standing by that cone and you're just begging your teammates to come set you free. And then, but you know, when you think about it, the only way to win capture the flag is to go capture the enemy's flag. You can't win by just playing defense, right? And this isn't soccer. There's no points for tying, right? Like the way that you win the game is you have to capture the enemy's flag. You have to do it. And that's the only way to win. And I really believe that if we aren't going to, to kind of like just have life happen to us, but we're going to win, we're going to move forward, we got to go capture some flags, we got to get on the other side of this thing, and we got to start taking the fight to the other side and start taking some, some flags or some enemies so that we can just deal with them. Like, we're, we're done with it. And to, today, that's what we're going to be talking about. Defense is necessary, right? When the whole team comes over on your side, you got to be able to defend and deflect so you don't lose. But here's what I think is happening. I think a lot of us, the enemy's taken our flag, and he's, he owns us right? And so we're learning this defense, but now it's time to go on offense. It's time to go and start taking some of these thoughts captive. I think so many of us think about this idea of taking thoughts captive is when they arrive with you, that's when you kind of put a bubble around them, and that's when you deal with the thought, right? You're kind of like, oh, here it is. I've got you, and now I'm going to deal with you. The Bible does not talk about capturing thoughts this way, the Bible talks about capturing thoughts as us going to the enemy. So today, we're gonna to learn how to do that. Today, we're gonna to learn how do we actually take the fight to the other side, right? Because the best place to fight is on enemy territory, not on home turf, right? And so that's what we're gonna to do today. So if you have a Bible with you, we're gonna open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses three to five, and we have covered some of these verses in the series already especially the upper half, but today we're going to specifically focus on verse 5, all right? So let's read through this. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. The words will be on the screen, but Paul is the author of 2 Corinthians. This is actually probably the third letter that they've been talking, okay? So 1 Corinthians, every goes, that's the first one. No, 1 Corinthians is a response letter that Paul actually sends back to the Corinthian church. He hears about what's going on, and so 1 Corinthians is about him replying to them. Hey, here's what's going on. So there's been some correspondence, but in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to them again. Can I just tell you that Corinth was messed up? Okay, like if you are worried, like my life is messed up, there's, no, there's never been anyone on this planet that's messed up as me, just go read about the Corinthians. They're really messed up, okay? Some of them thought that you had to sleep with prostitutes from the temple to get a word of God. Like that was like a religious practice, right? And so Paul is writing to them, talking about this great battle that we are all in and all of these arguments that come up against God. And let me just tell you, those negative thoughts that you're generally having are arguments against the goodness of God. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, look at what it says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So what does that mean? You and I are in a battle. That's right in the very first message of this series. If you've missed it, you can go back and you can listen to it or watch it online, but you got to realize you're in a fight. And some of us are believing some untruths about God, and you have no hope in winning the battle if you don't have the God who's won it with you. And so we're in this war, but we are not raging war according to the flesh. That means we're not taking swords and knives and guns and bombs into this battle. In fact, the weapons of this world have almost no profit to you in this battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That is a really important word there. That word stronghold is a military term that Paul's using because Corinth would understand the military. And what a stronghold is, it was a walled city. It was a city that was walled off on every single side that, that would ward off enemies. But if you know your history, walled cities always fall. Right? Because what the idea there is, is like if the enemy comes, we're just going to hold up in here and survive. But that's no way to win the battle. You might survive, you know, a couple little fights here and there, but you're not going to win the war sitting at home. You may be able to defend some things. In fact, if you come with us to Israel, the trip is filling up. We only have a few seats left. I'm going to take you to this mountaintop city called Masada. And at Masada, that was where the last bit of Jewish zealots held out in the land of Israel before the Romans slaughtered everyone. And their their strategy was to hole up on this mountaintop, which was a great idea. And they had these huge cisterns for water, but the Romans built ramps. And when we go there, I'll show you the ramps. You'll see right where it happens. But actually, the Israeli special forces before they are in, inducted into the special forces, do a night hike uh, from the bottom of the mountain all the way to the top. And when they're at the top, they have their ceremony and they, they pledge this, this one saying, what, may what happened here never happen again. Right? Because what they realize is we got to take the fight to them. We can't always be fighting at home. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that these these strongholds or citadels or walled off cities in our life, there's divine power in the weapons that we use to destroy them, to go in and take these cities captive. Jericho only stood for so long. It was a walled off city. Everyone thought it was impenetrable, but with the power of God, it was penetrable. And that's what Paul's talking about. All of these arguments are like citadels in your heart and in, in your mind that are walled off cities, and they'll make their way out and come and attack you, and you defend them, but then they go back and they still have power in your life because they're occupying space in your life. And some of us think, man, that's such a powerful thought, that's such an, uh, that, that, that memory is so powerful, I could never break that barrier down. Paul says is through the power of God, we can destroy strongholds. And this is where we're going to focus today. Verse 5, it says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What that means is those thoughts, we capture them and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. That's what that means. And so what you and I have to realize is what Paul is talking about here is not defending What Paul is talking about is going on offense, and in order to win the war, we got to take the fight to the other side. We have to go on offense. And so Paul talks about this idea that these weapons for us are these things that we are going to use that aren't of this world to fight this battle, to destroy these strongholds. And in the first message, we gave you what those those weapons were, and I just want to go through them very quickly right now to remind you who you are in the weaponry that you have. See, the very first weapon that you and I have, you can't have it without knowing God. See, because I talked to you about these citadels, these strongholds, they reside in you, in your heart and in your mind. And so when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll talk about this in our theology nights. I would love to invite all of you to my house to hear about this. We're talking and starting with the theology of God. But what the Bible says is that when we become a believer that Jesus sent a helper for us and he resides in us, that your body is now the temple. Why is that so important? Where do those negative thoughts and where do those things reside in your life? In you. So what do you need? You need something greater in you to fight the thoughts that are there. So that's why God sent the Holy Spirit into your life. But can I just tell you something right now? He's called the helper, not the doer. Okay, he's there to help you, assist you, give you power, give you everything you need, but you need to participate in it. We need to fight for our freedom too. He's won the battle, we're just realizing it. Okay, we're we're realizing what Jesus has already done, but you and I have to partner with the power of God through the Holy Spirit to go kill our enemy. See, some of us are just waiting for life in Jesus to happen to us. But we've never been t- called to a passive faith. We've always been called to a going faith, to a doing faith. And so you and I will have to use and partner with the power of the Holy Spirit to fight this battle. But the Spirit partners with something else. The Spirit partners with and testifies to the truth. The truth is what we call the Word of God, that this is the truth. And all truth is God's truth. And so let me just tell you something. If, you're, if one of the citadels in your life right now is doubt. What doubt tells me is you're seeking the truth, and I'm not worried if you're doubting because if you're really seeking the truth, you'll find God. I'm not worried about that, and neither is God. Let me just tell you, God's existence is not predicated on your ability to believe in him. That's the idea of truth. Truth is true whether you believe in it or not. Our culture tells us truth is only true if I believe in it. Wrong. Wrong. There are some absolute truths in this world. And you say, I don't know, it seems all relative. It seems like there's no such thing as absolute truth. Was that just an absolute statement? There's no such thing as absolute truth. That sounds absolutely true then. So you just defeated your own argument. What a dumb worldview that in one sentence we can destroy it. Does that make sense? Because you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All truth is relative. That's not true, even that's not a relative truth. Man, what a weak worldview. Anyway, so here's the deal. So God uses the Holy Spirit to testify to the truth, which is the word of God, and Jesus tells us that you and I will know the truth here and here, and the truth will set us free. Set us free from what? These strongholds in these things that are dominating our life. So if you're worried right now and you think, man, my mental mess is so much, I don't know if I'll ever be free. All you need to know is the truth and you will be free. And Jesus is the truth. Jesus says that, right? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He's telling you how to get to freedom. I'm the way, this is how you get to it, because I am the truth. And when you have truth, you have life, because you have freedom. Do you see how this all makes logical sense and goes in line and why Jesus would say that? And he says it exclusively. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Why? Because he is the only way. Because he's the only one who's earned it. And he has every right saying it. And so the Holy Spirit testifies to the truth, and then in truth we go to prayer. Prayer is how you and I fight this battle. Prayer is how, how we begin to do this. Prayer and praise and worship. Right? Because what you realize is in prayer, it's not you changing the mind of God, it's God forming your heart to his truth. See, why would, can I just ask you a question? Why would we want to change God's mind? Like, okay, this is where theology comes in. If we believe he's all good, all knowing, ever present, not just in space, but in time, and all powerful, why would we try to change his mind to our will? Like, why? He knows more He's everywhere, so that thing in the future that you're trying to change God's mind about, he's already there and knows what's best. He's all-knowing, and he's all-powerful. Why would you try to change someone's mind like that? I know what's best. Why? Not only am I all wise, I'm there. I'm already in your mess, and I know how to work this out because I'm there. See, that's one of the best things about God. See, the only way that you and I make it through things in, in new areas of life, is the best place to go with that is a person who's been there. If you go to a foreign land in a foreign place and you don't know where you are, you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. But if you go with someone who's already been there, they know the way. It's a totally different ballgame. Can I just tell you, in your anxiety, in your fear, in your worry, in your doubt, God's already in the future he's already in that moment, and he's already dealing with it. And so you can trust in what he's doing now because he's working it out there, right? And because worry and anxiety and fear is honestly, all it is is looking at a future that's absent of God. And let me just tell you, your worry and your fear and your anxiety are what you're worshiping, and it's your God. Is it a good God? How's that God treating you? And so it says that we have the Holy Spirit and the truth, and through prayer, God forms our heart to accept what he is doing, and in faith, we're going to accept that. Faith is believing and hoping in what is unseen. Faith is saying, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to believe that it's good. And then we have to persevere. So many of us think when we win one little battle, the war's over. You get some little bit of freedom in your life. You you move forward in a little area of your life and you think, oh, it's over. No, you have to keep going because not only does does freedom need to be won, it needs to be preserved. Do you realize that America won freedom a long time ago? We're trying to preserve that freedom now. We're doing the hard work of preserving freedom because let me just tell you, if the enemy cannot keep you from Jesus, he's going to want to steal everything that he has for you. We've got to fight to preserve it. And not only that, when we, we have the right perseverance, we've got to shift our perspective. And when we have our correct perspective, we need to be in community because you are most vulnerable when you're alone. And so why do we have church like this and not just online? Well, how do you have this online? You say, well, there's chats. Well, it's really easy to fake it behind a screen. It's really easy to be brave behind a screen. Right, But it's also really easy to be fake and to not be real and to not talk about what's really going on in your life. That's why I believe online, if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you're joining us online. We'd love it even more if you joined us here. Because nothing replaces this. Right? Jesus even says, do not forsake the assembling of your bodies. And you think, well, online wasn't a possibility then. Well, I don't think Jesus would say it's a great possibility now. He understood that you and I need to be in community with one another. As Galatians 6 says, carry one another's burdens. Sometimes you're going to be in a battle, and you're going to take the fight to the enemy, but you're going to need to be carried sometimes. You're going to be tired sometimes, and God is fighting for you and with you, but you're going to need other people with you. That's why in our military, no one goes alone. Right, my sister is in the army. David DeSex here, he, he informs and teaches militaries all over the world. I don't know if they call it this still now, but my sister, when she joined and she was in basic training, she had a battle buddy. That's a weird name to me, but he, she had a battle buddy, and she was not allowed to go anywhere alone. Even the bathroom, you think that's weird. What they were teaching her in the army was that you are weak alone, but together we can accomplish a lot. That's why we do small groups here. It's not because we want you to just be in another thing another night because I don't have a lot to do already and you don't have a lot to do already. We do it because that's where the community can get tighter. That's where we can really get to know each other. That's where we can learn all of these things and that's where the burden carrying starts. And so if you're not in a group, you're missing one of the greatest blessings that life has for you. And so we do this and then finally we've talked about this in our series. It's about, med- like, some of our weapon is medicine. And some of, like, there, we have a wrong Christian thought that medicine is bad. Wrong Christian thought. Because we say your faith isn't big enough. Stop it. Your fa- if you think that you can't have medicine, that your faith isn't big enough. What, you don't think that God was part of the process of developing that? You don't think he's part of these things? Now, is it the only solution? Or the only thing you should run after? Eh, wrong. But can it help you get to where you need to be? Absolutely. But God made our bodies. God designed us. God, does, God knows the war that's going on in our mind. Some of your depression isn't just negative thoughts. It's the chemicals going on in your brain. Okay? Like, let's, Can we stop re-wounding people all the time? Because we say you're a weak Christian when you have to take some medicine? You're weak if you say that. And I'll tell that to anybody's face that wants to come and argue with me about that you're weak. And so we understand in this, because I'm, t- I'm just tired of the church hurting people. I'm sick of it. And let me just tell you, if you're church hurt or you're, you're getting through church hurt, the only place you're going to find healing is in Jesus Christ and in his family. Amen. Ephesians 1.23. Be in the body of Christ. I'm tired of people telling me, God just called me not to do church with other people. I just do it alone. And I'm like, I've never seen that anywhere in this book. Otherwise, Jesus just would have been a lone renegade and just would have done it. But he modeled the community for us. That's another sermon i got to keep going. So this language that Paul uses in these verses is one of offense. One, not like, I'm offended. No, going on the offense. Taking the battle to the other side. Taking the fight over there. And we are going to win and have won already in the power of God. See, what, what the reality is is that the battle's already won. We're just walking in the power and kind of realizing it and dusting off the victory. I want you to think about it like this. Jesus already buried the treasure of our freedom. You and I are just digging it up and dusting it off. And so that's what you have to realize. And I just want to encourage you with this idea because some of us believe because the enemies deceived us so much that we don't have anything in Christ that we're going to be overcome all of the time in our lives. But the Bible describes you so differently. And that's why theology and knowing the word is so important because the Bible will tell you who you are, but in your thoughts, you're not believing it. I'm gonna read a passage to us, Romans chapter eight, verses 35 to 39. This is probably one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. If you need some encouragement, go to Romans eight. But listen to what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Your depression, your anger, your fear, The things that happen to you, the things that you've done, shall those things? No, listen to what he says. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Look at what he says. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We are regarded as those who will be overcome is what he's saying. Verse 37. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers. Maybe rulers could be rulers on this earth or demonic. See, some of you don't believe in that. You believe in angels, you believe in all the good stuff and the enemy's gotten you to basically believe he doesn't exist. Why would you fight an enemy that you don't believe exists? Hmm nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What that means is you've got a 3D salvation. Every part of you is covered by Jesus Christ and nothing can penetrate that. Why is that? Here's a little bit of theology. Because you didn't buy your own salvation in the first place. So you can't lose it in the second place. It's his completed perfect work, and what God does completely is completely perfect, and there's nothing you can do to return yourself, right? Romans later talks about this, that he was our propitiation. That's a really fancy word to say he was our payment, and the Bible says that you and I were born, and we were sold in a slave market to sin, and Jesus came and bought us out of it, That's what it means. He bought you out of it. So here's the the logic of your theology if you think you can lose your salvation. You as the purchased item been perfectly bought by Jesus Christ can walk back to the slave market and sell yourself back into slavery. That's what you're believing. It's like this shirt going, you know what? I think I'm gonna return myself and just going and returning itself. (laughs) So here's what that means. You're eternally secure. If you really believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can stop praying the sinner's prayer every time. You can stop asking for salvation and you can start looking towards repentance. See, some of us wanna keep getting saved. You're already saved. Jesus wants you to move on and move towards repentance and walking in him. And so that's what happens in this moment. But here's what I want you to understand. We are more than conquerors. That word conquerors literally means completely victorious. How would you change the way that you're approaching your battle and your mess in your mind if you already knew the war was won? Right? One of the worst things in life, like to me, is watching a game on replay. Anyone like a big like, I'm gonna go watch sports events again? Meh that's the worst for me. Why? Because I already know the score, so all the suspense is gone. I already know who won. I already know what, like my favorite team, Arsenal, is playing right now. When I, they were up 1-0, I checked before I got up here, right? But here's the deal. If if I go and they won the game, I'm not going to go back and watch it. If they lost the game, I'm not going to go back and watch it. Why? I don't need to. I know the end. For you, you need to stop in this life, worrying about a game that's already been won. We know the scoreboard. Heaven, new earth, forgiveness, joy, peace, kindness, grace, mercy. We will live with God for eternity. And so, like, what you're stressed out about is the middle, but can I tell you, we already know the end. So some of your anxiety is about something where you already know the future. You're just worried about the details, but can you believe that, okay, let's reframe it. I'm worried about the future, but I know my future, and it's good. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm scared. I can have confidence in the God who's already doing it, right? And so you're looking at this because why? You are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. The, the battle has completely been won, and so I want you to realize that when you think this Romans 8 is about when persecution physically comes and is going to destroy you. The battle's already won, because some of us are so scared of the mess in our mind that we think it's going to kill us. We think it's what's going to lead us to our death. That's what Romans is talking about. Yes, there's a physical enemy, but you and I have a greater enemy, the spiritual. And some of us are living like the battle is still unwon, Let me just say one other thing. See, you and I have been getting bullied in our minds for a really long time. You've been getting tossed around, beat up, and all of these things. And what's the one way to to defeat a bully? To stand up. What you realize is bullies are weak. The only way that you and I are going to do this is if we stand up with the truth of God at our feet and the Holy Spirit in us and Jesus walking beside us and before us, killing our enemy. And I'm not saying you, I want to kill the enemy. Why? You don't need to make friends with things that want to kill you. Some of you are just like, hey, let's be friends so you stop bothering me. Jesus says, I don't want you to be friends with that. It wants to kill you. I want to destroy it. You just like, I just want to make peace with you so that you'll just leave me alone. And what you realize is that things that want to destroy you will never leave you in peace. And so we realize in this moment that really what happens is is what are you worshiping? Because what you think about most is what you worship. And how many of us, me included, at times, I'm thinking more about my mess than I am about the God who can take care of it. And I'm I'm literally sitting there worshiping these things. When I know the God who is there and I'm worshiping the wrong things. But let me just tell you something. The thing that you worship is the thing that you serve. And the thing that you serve is the thing that owns you. What do you own by right now? What is, is the thing that's owning you dragging you to death? Or is the thing that owns you taking you to life? God is taking us to life. We're going to be in Deuteronomy real quick. I'm going to read through this. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God, starting in verse 16, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and statutes and his rules. There's a process there, right? If you listen to what I say and not just listen, but you actually do those things and walk in those things, look at what the Bible says and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to, to take possession of it. Let me just say something to all of us. There is blessing in your life, but there's a process to get it. See, all of us wanna proclaim the blessing without walking in what you need to do it. Notice this is an if-then clause. If you listen to my word, If you walk in the way that I tell you to do this, if you obey my commands, if you do these things, then the blessings of God come. And sometimes the blessings of God are not above and beyond. The blessing is you're not getting the consequence of the sin. You realize that? Some of us all want an extra cookie for being good. And God says, You want to know what the blessing is? That you're not dying and perishing in part of your life. That's the blessing. Now, can God do above and beyond that? Absolutely. But the fact that he's saving you from death, isn't that enough? And so he says, if you do these things, then this will happen, but he gives the opposite. But, verse 17, if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but you are drawn away to worship other gods, lowercase g, and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish you shall not live long in the land that you are going over, to the, over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land of the Lord that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give them. Let me ask you something. Are you taking your thoughts captive, or are they captivating you? That's what this means. Life or death, because let me tell you, those thoughts will leave those citadels when you are weak, and they will try to steal you, and they will take you, and they will drag you into the city, and they will keep you there, in a place that you've already been freed from, in a place that already has, has gone in your life, and let me just tell you, God does not just want to break down the city, and then have it still stay there in your life, he wants to remove it, because what is that citadel? It's sin, And the Bible says that when you're saved, your sin is removed from you as far as the east is from the west. God infinitely moves you away from your transgression. But some of us are like inviting these things back into the house. Some of us are inviting these thoughts. We're making a bedroom. We have a guest suite for it in our house. We have a bed made and we're like, hey, come on in. I I know I've made peace with you, Uh, but then they're like the worst house guests ever and they're going to wreck the whole house but you've made a bed for it. I just want to entertain you for a little bit because I feel like I deserve punishment because I did something bad. So I'm going to invite sin back in. I'm going to invite these thoughts back in because I think I deserve it. And Jesus says, you don't. And then you're going to, I'm going to make a nice bed for you. And then when, when I'm done with you, then would you leave nicely? Oh, sin's a squatter. It's going to sit in your life as long as until you rip it out. That's what the Bible's talking about here. How many of us are choosing death over life? It's just like a binary choice, one or the other. You're either choosing death or you're choosing life. What does that mean? You're either choosing Jesus or you're not. That's why Jesus makes it binary. You're either for me or against me. There's no in-between. That's why Revelation talks about lukewarm Christians. Because what he says is, I'd rather you make a choice Either cold or hot. What that's talking about, I'm going to go into Revelation for a second. Everyone buckle up, right? But there's these two rivers that would meet. One was a hot spring and one was a cold river. And where they met, the water became lukewarm. But that lukewarm water was undrinkable. Both of the spring and the cold water were fine. But when they combined, the water became undrinkable. I spit you out of my mouth. Make a choice. And look, I know this isn't a very pastoral thing to say. Stop playing Christianity and just make a choice. Like, can we just stop playing church? Like, if you're not in, just don't be in. We want you in. We always want you in. But be in. You're like, why am I not getting the blessing of God? Because you're straddling the fence, and you're trying to get as close to sin as you can and not walking towards the blessing of God and you go, well, God, why didn't you show up? He goes, I don't play by the fence. I want to keep you as far from the fence as possible. The blessing's in, inside. Let's go there. Let me just tell you what this God, these other gods look like. This is what the other gods you may be worshiping. Some of you are worshiping your worry, Some of us right now are worshiping our doubt. Some of us are worshiping fear. Some of us are worshiping anger. Some of us are worshiping hatred. That's the God that you're sitting down to and bowing to right now. And I'll just tell you how you know. What are you thinking about the most? What you think about the most is what you worship. And let me just tell you, some of us in here, me included at times, the only person I can think about is me. And I'll just tell you, I'm not a good God. I'm actually probably my worst enemy. But So what does the opposite look like? What does it actually look like to worship Jesus? What does it actually look like to worship life? So where worry is, there's confidence. Confidence that God is going to work it out. Not knowing. Everyone just wants to know. Like, I, I, have, I have worry and doubt. It's never been the promise of you'll know everything. It's been that you can be confident in the God who's doing. Right? What's the opposite of doubt? Not knowledge. It's faith. Right? Doubt is the absence of faith. So when you want to worship the God of life, believe. Have faith. What's the opposite of the God of fear? The God of peace. Right? Not just contentment, but peace. And notice all of these, these things, you're gonna be into them, but you can have victory outside of them. What's the opposite of anger? It's not happiness, it's joy. Joy. That means that you're able to withstand these different environments that are stealing from you. What's the opposite of hatred? Love. Love. And let me just ask you like, we know that when you live in worry, doubt, fear, anger, and hatred. It actually destroys your physical body. What we've learned, like in this series, is the brain actually, when those thoughts, you release cortisol when you're worshiping those gods. Cortisol is a great little chemical that your brain can release that can help you in a season. What cortisol does is it shuts off the frontal lobe of your brain, which is logical thinking, and turns on your amygdala. Your amygdala is where your fight or flight response is. Anyone ever, like, Are you fighting and flighting all the time? Are you exhausted yet? Do you know that when you live in fight or flight all the time, the front of your brain atrophies just like muscles that you don't use? And so we wonder why people who are in fight or flight don't make logical decisions. Because that part of their brain is shut off. And let me just tell you, those gods will keep you there all the time because we believe in the God of logic. Yes, he does miracles and he does things beyond logic, but the reality is is those things will keep you from entering your frontal lobe and keep you from understanding who God is. So once we understand what we are worshiping, now we can take the fight to it. See, you've got to know what your trigger is, what your enemy is, in order to walk towards it. So, We know now that we are in a battle and we gotta take the battle to the enemy. Like, we can't just be letting life happen to us all of the time. We cannot take a passive approach to our faith any longer. And we know now that we have to understand what we worship and what we think about the most. That's how we identify the citadels, those are the things in our life that are taking up territory in your life. And here's the sad thing. Some young people in this room, you will, you already know what these citadels are. You already know what these things are because you're angry at your friends because they have something better than you. You hate the girl or guy in the class because of something they said a long time ago. You're afraid that you're never going to get married, that you're not going to make it in college, you're going to do all these things, and you worry constantly Let me just tell you, if you're young in this room, you gotta get a hold of this now because you will save yourself a lifetime of pain. You think, this doesn't apply to me yet. How many young people are right now living in anxiety and worry? Why? Because we have this stupid thing called social media which just puts us in comparison with one another which causes worry and anxiety in our life. I mean, is anyone's life in here better because of social media? Has anyone ever asked you that question? Like, is your life, like, my life is awesome? all the time, because I love comparing myself to other people's picture-perfect life. Or I better one-up them and make sure they think my life's better. Does that sound like freedom, or does that sound like a rat race? You're never going to win. I don't know, just something to think about. But now we understand those things, but how do you actually win? How do you actually take the battle to the other side? You have to slow down. So to win, we need to slow down. Look at what Psalm 46.10 says. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. What Psalm says is you've got to slow down. You've got to take a minute because here's the reality. Jesus showed up on this earth as a baby, not as a full-grown man. Because there was 33 years that Jesus needed to be here to show us how to live. He could have just popped down, died for us, and left. But he wanted to show us the right way to live so that you and I would understand how to live this battle. See, all of us just want the healing. We don't want the process. But if you don't have the process, the healing can be taken from you. Not that you're not healed, but the realization can be because it's not something you fought for. Anyone in here ever fought for something and you felt like you really owned it? Like you can have someone build a building for you or you can build it. There's two very different things. But what you own, you can hold on to. God wants you to own your healing. That's why you're part of the process. So we've got to stop and allow God to speak to us and begin to fight the battle for us. In fact, if you there's a great imagery of this in the Bible, a famous story, the wall of Jericho. It was a citadel that was on every side surrounded by a strong wall. Jericho is the very first place that Israel encounters when they go into the land. The first place that they have to fight. This is all coming back to us. God wants you to live in the promised land of his freedom and his joy and his peace. He wants to take you spiritually into the land of milk and honey, but you're going to have to fight some cities when you get there. You're going to have to take possession of your salvation. You didn't win it, but you got to own it. Does that make sense? Like you got to own this thing. It didn't just happen to you. It happened in you, right? You've got to own it. You've got to walk in your salvation, So Here's how we do this. How do we slow down? The world is finally catching up with this. Some of you may have heard about this idea of mindfulness. Mindfulness is this idea of directed meditation towards a thought or idea or capturing thoughts and processing them. Here's why mindfulness is so important. All of those citadels, those things in your life that you think are going to kill you are always running in the back of your mind. They're always running in your subconscious, and then you get triggered, and they go from the subconscious into your conscious mind, right? The past, something gets triggered, and then it's brought up. Those citadels are always running in the back, and if you don't actually deal with them, they're going to always be there. The reality is this. In order to get to the subconscious part of our mind, we have to slow down. We have to begin to meditate on what is going on. So when you have a feeling, I want you to hold that feeling up, but I want you to go find the root of it. I want you to go find the trigger of it. And here's what Caroline Leaf says in Switching on Your Brain. Five to 16 minutes of engaging in meditation will turn on your frontal lobe. Five to 16 minutes a day. Anybody got five minutes for freedom? Wait, what's the Geico thing? And you can get freedom in less time than you can get a Geico quote, okay? Right? And so here's the deal. Five minutes a day. And you can turn on the front of your brain and begin to deal with some of these issues. This is why in Joshua chapter 1, before Joshua goes into the land, look at what he says. This book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What is Joshua saying? you got to know the word of God so that you can walk in it, so you walk away from death and you walk towards life. And this goes to every part of our life. Your marriage, your relationships, your past, your finances. If you do it according to the way God says, God will walk you towards life. So many of us don't want to do it the way God says, and we wonder why the world's in such a bad place. Because we've been leaning on our own wisdom. But I want to leave with this. As the band gets ready to come up, I want to leave this with this thought. Psalm 23, verse 4 says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as some of us approach these areas of our life that are dominating us, it's going to feel like you're walking towards death. Like some of us don't want to deal with these thoughts and these things in our life because it feels like they're going to kill us. But notice what the Bible says. It doesn't say it was death. It says it's the shadow of it. Amen. Come up here real quick. This verse is so important because many of us probably know this verse. You've heard it. You're probably quoting it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's really interesting about this verse is that when you're walking in complete darkness, you can't follow someone. You can't follow them through it because it's too dark. Anyone ever tried to follow someone in the dark? doesn't work. You're like, I can't see you. And they're like, follow my voice. Right? And you're like, I can't. Mm -hmm. So here's what I I need us to all understand what Psalm 23 is saying. As you approach the citadels, as you approach these things, you will find yourself in the shadow of death. It's going to get dark. But here's what Jesus promises. This verse means I am with you, means I'm right beside you. And what it means is, is as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is escorting you. And he's saying, I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. And the rod and the staff are so important. The rod is this stick that the shepherd would hold. And the rod was used by the shepherder to kill off any enemy. So whatever comes at you in the dark, he'll kill. But the staff is so important too because when you can't see, what do you need in front of you? How do blind people walk? They use a staff to find their footing. Jesus' staff will take you through it. And here's the incredible thing that valley of the shadow of death, Jesus has already killed, so he knows the path to freedom. Mm. Thanks, man. And what's so important is is when you get into that valley of the shadow of death, has anyone ever been in the dark and it's real scary and the power goes off during a hurricane and all of a sudden your house is literally haunted and you don't know what, like every creek, you're like, I never heard that before, right? Because you're freaked out. That's what's going to happen in the valley of the shadow of death. You're gonna hear noises and things and you're gonna think that they're there to kill you. But Jesus is with you. He's escorting you towards your freedom. And he wants you and I to walk through the shadow of the walls that we think are the citadels that are meant to kill us. And we're gonna walk up to the gate. And just like Jericho, We're going to walk around those things for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. And then we're going to scream. And the walls are going to fall in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of God. And we are going to walk into the citadel. And we are going to take those thoughts. And we're going to captivate them. And we're going to drag them out of the citadel. And we're not going to give them room in our life anymore. We're going to throw them to the curb. They're gone. That's what freedom looks like. The enemy's not occupying territory anymore. The land is free. And so how do we we do this? Like really practically, how do we do this? First of all, it's going to feel like death sometimes. But healing hurts. Can I just be honest with you? Healing hurts. But here's what I want you to do. Before you're in the mess, before you're in the shadow, I need you to write down your triggers. What are the things that trigger in your mind that cause you to run away from God or cause you to get into a mess? It's like knowing your are out. Like, okay, I'm going to give a real practical. I'm lactose intolerant. Okay, if I want to be in a real mess, and I mean like in the bathroom kind of mess, I will drink milk without medicine. I know that when I have lactose I get triggered, and that triggering is no bueno, okay? Like, it's terrible. One time I had to get Kelsey to drive me to my office after a restaurant, and I was on the seat like this. Oh, I I couldn't even sit down, it was so bad. I had to run into my office. It's about me, not you. And I had to run into my office, and literally, as I was going into the bathroom, I was taking my pants, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna make it. I got triggered, I got triggered. I was in an emergency. That's some of you right now with a thought. It's like the lactose hits you and you're panicking and you're looking for a place to survive. You're like, please get me to a toilet, right? That's what's happening in your life. And look, I know that it's funny to hear, but it wasn't a funny thing to experience for me. It wasn't. And that's what's going on with some of us. And so I need you to start to list all of your triggers. What are the things that are coming up in you? And here's how I want you to think about it. Here's why it's important. I know I'm running out of time, but this is important, so I'm going to just keep going. Okay. Because I want you to get free. Has anyone ever seen Harry Potter? Yeah. Raise your hand if you've seen Harry Potter. Okay, we all know the people we need to pray for. I'm just kidding. I, I watched it too. But there is this one creature in the Harry Potter movies called a bogart, bogart. I don't know how you say it. But what this, bogart, bogart. Okay. These creatures uh, would come up and they manifest your greatest fear. And the only way to overcome this creature that manifests your greatest fear, which is the thing that you think is going to kill you, so when you see this thing, you're put in the shadow of death, was to say this thing ridiculous, right? And it's this it, it takes your fear and turns it into something that's ridiculous. For so many of us, our fears, our triggers are bogus. They're the things in your life that Jesus has already killed. They're just tricking you to believe that they're the thing that's going to kill you. And you're gonna look at them and say, in Jesus' name, ridiculous. Ridiculous. And you know what happens is, you don't even get in a fight. Because when you call that thing ridiculous, they're super self-conscious, they'll go away. You have to realize that those fears in your life are Bogart's and they want, to, they want to trick you into believing that you need to bow down to them and that you're in the shadow of the fear of death and what you're going to realize by the power of Holy Spirit and by the word of God and the truth of God through prayer and perseverance and enduring and all of these things, you're going to look at your fears and say, in Jesus' name, ridiculous. Ridiculous. I will not entertain this anymore for you have been killed. See, the, the thing is, you may destroy the citadel and they may go to a far off land, but they're going to try to creep their way back in. They have no place to belong there, but they'll, they'll stay there as long as you let them. And so let's not get into the mess. Let's get offensive. Let's capture these things and move on. See, because when we do that, then we're going to change, right? You remember change? Clarify the thought. Have a conversation with God. Ask and analyze questions. Navigate how to apply the truth. Go to the truth and then you'll experience freedom And here's what I want you to do. Once you write down those things that are are true or those triggers, I want you to write a scripture next to every single one of them. Fear, confidence. Anger, joy. Right? And I want you to write down the truth that is there because you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when the boggart shows up, you quote the scripture that makes it look ridiculous. And you won't even have to get in a fight and you're on the offense now. You're winning the war of your mind. And if we change the way that we think, we will change the way that we live. That's why this is so important. And when you do that, you're going to get stuck on the truth and no longer in the shadow of death. Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.